Almighty God and Heavenly Father, you have blessed each of us with the joy and care of children. Give us the calm strength and patient wisdom as we bring them up, that we may teach them to love whatever is just and true and good, following the example of our Savior, Jesus Christ. And now, Lord, we consecrate this time to you and pray um, by the power of your word that we know that you've told us that whenever two or three are gathered in your name, that you are here and present among us. And so now, Lord God, we are grateful for that presence, and we call on your presence to teach us, Lord, and instruct us and to guide us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, um, we are Don and Jane Menendez, and um, I'm supposed to have this on. Donna Jane Menendez, and um, we have four grown children, and we are not here as experts. Um, we are just here as people who have been where you are. And really, this class kind of teach. What? Here. Oh, fell off. Thanks. I'm just going to hold it. Um, <laughs> I think that's easier. Um, this class is really born out of things we wish we had done um, and things we're glad we did do um, when our children were in second grade. And I just think it's such a special moment um, when the church gives a child a Bible. And I was walking out of church with Kathy Logue, and she said, I still remember the day I got my Bible. So this is a big deal for your kids. And um, we really just want to kind of throw around some ideas um, that may help you really come alongside your children at this special moment. And Don and I had kind of a metaphor that we used as parents, and it was that our job was really to pack our children's suitcase so that when they went out from us, they would have what they needed for, life's, for their life's journey. Um, we packed all sorts of things into our children's suitcase. We wanted them to have a good education. We wanted them to be able to play a particular sport. We wanted them to have an appreciation for the arts. We wanted to, them to know how to look somebody in the eye and shake their hand. Um, we wanted them to have good manners. We wanted them to have leadership skills, social skills. Um, there's so many, and, and we do all this so that when they go out into the world, they'll have what they need to be successful. And um, I think everybody in this room, we're all very intentional about our children's education, about the sports and activities that they're involved in, about their civic responsibilities, their community service, um, and we get so busy trying to fit everything in and keep in pace with everybody around us. I can remember looking at somebody going, oh, your kids are taking Chinese, they're taking Mandarin lessons. Well, maybe we need to, too. I mean, you really get kind of caught up in this swirl of activities that a lot of times we lose our focus on what's really important, and that is our children's faith. You know, of all the things that we can pack into our children's suitcase, faith is the most essential. It's the most foundational. Um, when our children go out into the world, 
They need the strength and the comfort and the power that faith will give them. Um, Can't you imagine the sorrow of watching your child as an adult facing a crisis in their marriage or a setback in their career or a loss in their family and starting to rummage through their suitcase looking for something that will guide them and coming up empty. I don't think any of us would want that. Um, And yet in the busyness of life, we can really lose sight of our responsibility to instruct our children in their faith. Um, You have a handout in front of you. And I want to look at this passage from Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And these words which I command you this day shall be upon your heart, and you shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. And you shall bind them as a sign upon your hand. They shall be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall write them on the doorpost of, the, of your house and on your gates. Now, a couple of quick points. Whose responsibility is it to instruct our children? Yeah, it's ours. It's ours as their parents. Um, We are to teach these things diligently to our children. The church is here to support us, but we're really the front lines. Um, We're the ones responsible. And it says when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise. And that doesn't translate into two hours on Sunday. If you think about it, Um, teaching and taking our children to church is vital, but it's not the end of our job. Um, Talking about matters of faith really needs to be woven into the fabric of our lives. Um, We need to be creative and inventive about how we go about instructing our children. And I got to tell you, you have a great opportunity in front of you. The church has made a big deal out of giving these Bibles to your children. And we would encourage you to make an equally big deal about it um, when you get home. You know, when, when they walk out of the church with their Bible, and this is the Bible they'll be getting, um, which is it's the, it's the Bible. I mean, it just has a fun childlike cover and has some fun illustrations, but it's, it's the entire Bible. Um, when they walk out... Um, with their Bible under their arm, you have a wonderful chance to really come alongside them and start a habit of reading God's Word with your children, reading God's Word with your family. Um, and I got to say, I know a lot of us feel really inadequate um, to, 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 to actually teach our children because we kind of feel like we're, we're still learning ourselves. Um, but, you know, we can take great comfort in the fact that everybody God uses in Scripture, with the exception of Jesus, is inadequate. And that gives me a great deal of comfort. 
Um, we're in good company. Um, I know Don and I felt very inadequate um, when our children started coming along and started asking us questions that we didn't know the answers to. So it really made us stop and start really seriously reading Scripture. Um, and we really kind of grew in our faith alongside with our children. Um, sometimes we were on the same page with them. Sometimes we might have been a page behind. Um, but we really did grow with them. Um, and then there's great, that great verse that God's power is made perfect in our weakness. And I kind of claim that as a mom. Um, and he really will. He'll bless us and he'll bless our efforts as we struggle to teach our children. Um, and this morning, really what we're going to try to do is give you both kind of a broad context for reading scripture and then some, a couple of practical ideas. So first, the broad context. And I want to, you've got three quotes on your handout and I'm going to get Don to read them. Um, and the first is from Tulian Chivajan, I think that's how you say it, and he was one of our Lenten preachers, and he's kind of the more intellectual quote, quote that we'll have. If you could read that. Just that one quote. Mm-hmm. Contrary to what many Christians have concluded, the Bible does not tell two stories, the story of Israel in the Old Testament and the story of the church in the New Testament. No, the Bible tells one story and points to one figure. It tells a story of how God rescues a broken world and points to Christ who accomplishes this. In the Old Testament, God revealed himself through types and shadows, through promises and prophecies. In the New Testament, God reveals himself in Christ, who is the substance of every shadow and the fulfillment of every promise and prophecy. In other words, the Old Testament predicts God's rescuer. The New Testament presents God's rescuer. Therefore, the whole Bible, both the Old and New Testament, is all about God's rescuer. Okay, so that's kind of the intellectual quote. The next one is Sally Lloyd-Jones, and she is the one who wrote the storybook Bible. And this is actually in the introduction to that. If I can get you to read that. The Bible isn't a book of rules or a book of heroes. The Bible is most of all a story. It's an adventure story about a young hero who comes from a far country to win back his lost treasure. It's a love story about a brave prince who leaves his palace, his throne, every, his throne, everything, to rescue the ones he loves. It's like the most wonderful of fairy tales that has come true in real life. You see, the best thing about this story is it's true. There are lots of stories in the Bible, but all the stories are telling one big story, the story of how God loves his children and comes to rescue them. It takes the whole Bible to tell this story, and at the center of the story there is a baby. Every story in the Bible whispers his name. He is like the missing piece in the puzzle, the piece that makes all the other pieces fit together, and suddenly you can see a beautiful picture. Okay, and then the third quote is from a um, theologian who wrote in the 1600s. So you can see these thoughts go way back. You can read that. Puritan pastor William Gurnall who considered it unthinkable that a child of God would be unable to find the time to read the book in which God has committed his love and grace, he wrote, Could God find heart and time to pen this love letter to thee, and thou find none to read it, to read and peruse it? The sick man, no time to look upon his physician's prescription. The condemned malefactor, no time to look on his prince, prince's letter of grace, wherein a pardon is signed. 
So those three quotes really kind of give us a good context for Scripture. Scripture is basically, um, it's, it's a love letter. It is a story of rescue. Um, it is the, um, we, we said it, to, it was read today in Scripture, in Isaiah, that behold, your God will come. He will come and he will save you. So the Bible is the story of God's coming to save us, God's coming to rescue us. And we are people who need saving. We are people who need rescuing. And um, we're going to just really quickly look at Genesis 3, um, which really talks about the reason we need saving, the reason we need rescuing. And this is after Adam and Eve have disobeyed, and um, they have eaten, they have done what God has told them not to do. And I'm just going to read the verses 8 and 9 of Genesis 3. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God, um, hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, Where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid, because I was naked, and I hid myself. And I don't know, did anybody hear Andrew's wonderful sermon last week on this passage? I mean, it was just, it was wonderful, and if you heard it, you know where I'm going. You've got Adam and Eve, they disobey, they hear God walking in the garden, and they hide. And God asked this great question, where are you? Now, God knows where they are. He's not asking for information. Why do you think God asked this question? Why do good teachers ask questions in class? What are they trying to do? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Um, thank you, Mark. Um, yeah, the, he's, God is trying to get them to think. He's trying to get them to engage in their situation. And where are you? Um, to, you know, where are they literally? They are naked, hiding, and afraid. Um, and that really has been the plight of mankind ever since. At some level, we are all naked, hiding, and afraid, um, and trying to really cover ourselves with all sorts of fig leaves. Um, it may be our resume, it may be our reputation, possessions, um, our accomplishments. We are all trying to somehow um, project a larger and better image of ourselves. Um, you know, think about a Facebook persona. Um, I love the thought of the Wizard of Oz, um, where he says, pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. You know, watch the show, but don't look um, at the man behind the curtain. And scripture has a way with you know, like God asking Adam this question and making Adam realize, I am naked, I'm hiding, and I'm afraid. Scripture has a way of showing our true selves to ourselves. Um, scripture is an incredible mirror. And whenever we go to Scripture, we really start to realize that we're really worse than we think we are. 
we really are more sick with sin than we ever believed. So scripture definitely tells us that we're worse than we think we are. But it also tells us that we are far more loved than we ever dared to hope. Because this where are you question that God asks is really the first call of grace in the Bible. Because God says, where are you? Because he is coming after Adam. Adam doesn't run to God and say, look, I blew it. I'm sorry. Adam is cowering, hiding. God comes after Adam and says, where are you? I love you. I'm not willing to lose you. I'm going to pursue you. And, you know, God could have let what was lost stay lost. God could have vaporized Adam with a word, but he doesn't. He comes after Adam, and he comes after us. And he has set his heart in love for some reason on us. And that is why scripture is a love story. It's a story of rescue because it's the story of God coming after mankind. And really the whole of scripture is the story of God's pursuit of us. In the Old Testament, we really see all the preparation and the groundwork being laid. And in the words of St. Paul, when all of that was done, when the time had fully come, God sent forth his son. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas, is God coming in the person of Jesus Christ. When the time had fully come, when all the preparation was complete, all the promises, all the prophecies, all the clues were carefully and purposely in place, God himself came in the person of Jesus Christ. And the Bible is, is that. It's the story of God coming and coming to save us. And that's what Isaiah was talking about. Behold, the Lord will come, and he will come and save you. And so that's kind of a little bit of context for Scripture. Did that help? Any, any questions on that before we move into kind of practical matters? Does that make sense? Okay. Um, here's just some practical tools. You've got your child comes home with this new Bible, and I think it's so important to sit down and start reading it with them. Or her. Um, I would, if I were you, I would start not in Genesis. I would start in one of the Gospels. And I always gravitate towards the Gospel of Mark because it's the shortest Gospel and it's the most straightforward. Um, so I would start there. Um, I would also say it's not a race. I mean, you don't have to try to see how much you can read in 15 or 20 minutes. I would read, and, this, and the nice thing about this Bible is it's, it's kind of divided up into, they have the passages kind of grouped off. So you can kind of read a, uh, a section at a time. And I would take a passage, I would read it, and then I would talk about it. Dig in and, and really engage your child in it. And one helpful way um, to really read scripture, and really in any setting,
but I think it's particularly effective with a child. Um, it's actually what I do in my own reading, is to go back through what you've just read and list everything it tells you about God. List everything it tells you about Jesus. And then list everything it tells you about mankind or yourself. Um, and that's, you know, that's really kind of what we did in this Genesis 3 passage. You know, what does that Genesis 3, those two verses, tell us about God? Well, it tells us that God wants us to think. It tells us that God is a God who comes after us. It tells us that God is a God who loves us. What does it tell us about mankind? Well, it tells us that we are naked and we're hiding and we're afraid. And when, you, when you're talking to your children, think of a time when you felt naked, hiding, and afraid. Kids love to hear our stories. And I think that's what made Andrew's sermon, for those of you who heard it, so powerful. Because he told the story of being a little boy in a snowball fight. And making a snowball and these little boys getting the idea to, to take the snowball and make it even better by putting water on it and getting it really frozen. And Andrew was the first one to launch these frozen snowballs. And he hit a little girl right in the face. And she screamed. And all of a sudden he realized what he had done. And he immediately ran and hid under a car. And you can just see this little boy under a car feeling naked like, oh, I've done something wrong. I'm hiding and I'm really afraid of what's going to happen to me and I don't want to come out. I mean, you really got the power of feeling naked and hiding and afraid. Um, my own story would be a little different. I can remember as a child, um, you know how you wait for your dad to come home? And I'd see his cars, his um, headlights coming down the driveway. And I would run and hide. And I would always go run and hide under the dining room table. I never thought about mixing it up. But I would hide under the dining room table. And he would walk in the door. And the first thing he would say is, Sugar, where are you? And he would go on this little kind of thing he did every night looking for me. And I would sit under the dining room table just so excited that my dad was coming after me. And there was so much comfort in knowing that my father was going to come and find me wherever I was, even though I was always in the same place. But, but your, your own stories have such power with children. Um, and so I would really encourage you as you're reading it with them to really engage on a real, real personal, a real, real personal level. Um, because your own stories have such power. Um, so start in a gospel. It's not a race. Really dissect what you're reading. What does it tell me about God? What does it tell me about mankind? You don't have to have all the answers would be the next point. You don't have to have all the answers. There are a lot of really kind of strange and difficult passages in Scripture. That, you know, that adults and theologians struggle with, not alone, just second graders. Um, I don't know. I don't understand. is a great answer. It's an honest answer. And then you can do some research. Um, call the clergy. Call Cameron. Call Sarah Siebels. Um, Elizabeth Wilson. 
if you get in real straits, call us. We're happy to try to help walk through questions. Um, call, you know, call somebody. Um, there are also some good internet sites. There are also some bad internet sites. Um, so you've got to be kind of careful. I would two internet sites that I would commend. One is netbible.com. That's got very very good commentary. And the other is Alan Ross's website, and that's ChristianLeadershipCenter.org, or I think it's .org, ChristianLeadershipCenter.org. Um, and Alan Ross, even though he's very intellectual, is very readable. And particularly if you're going through the Gospel of Matthew, he has a great resource for that. Um, so there are plenty of places to get help when you don't know the answer. So I think so many of us don't want to read Scripture because we don't want to, you know, we want to be the person with all the answers. Um, but I assure you when your child gets to calculus, you won't have all the answers. So you might as well get used to saying it now. Um, one is netbible.com, and the other is christianleadershipcenter.org, and the latter one is Alan Ross's. Um, you know, the passage in Deuteronomy tells us to teach our children when we sit in our house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise. And if you think about that, that is pretty much an ongoing, constant conversation. And for us as parents, that means it's going to be kind of some conversations that are very spontaneous when your child just comes up with a question. Um, but it also means that we need to have some really intentional, deliberate times to sit down and read Scripture with our children. And, you know, some of the natural times to do that um, breakfast, dinner, um, bedtime. You know, those are kind of the natural times that we intersect as a family. Um, and, you know, bedtime is probably, of the three, probably the best. Um, mainly because your children never want to go to bed, so they're always willing to talk at that time of the day. Um, so you can use it to your advantage. Um, and I always had to fight because there was, there was a part of me that just wanted to get my children in bed so I could go have a bowl of ice cream and celebrate that I made it through a day. And, um, but it's so important, and I wish I had spent more time um, with them at bedtime really reading God's Word with them and really praying with them. And um, because, golly, it is so important and it really is, it's not like, you know, I kind of wish sometimes that I could get my faith and have it like an inoculation and I really don't need to work on it from here on out. I kind of got it. Um, but faith isn't like that. It's kind of like manna um, that, God gave us, that God gave the people of Israel in the Old Testament. We have to gather it daily. Um, and it's the true for us and it's true for our children. Um, we really need to work on this um, on a daily, daily basis. And that's, you know, that's difficult, um, but so worth it. Um, kind of the last practical point, I got to tell you, your kids are at the ideal time to start this if you haven't already started it. Um, they are willing. They want to spend time with you. Y'all are still cool in their eyes. They're 
suitcase is still wide open. And that is an opportunity. Um, But over time, their suitcase starts to close. And their eyes start to roll. And you get less cool in their eyes, although still very important. Um, But if you can begin this habit of reading scripture with them, um, kind of feeding their faith now, golly, it'll be an incredible foundation on so many levels. One, you make sure that faith is packed in their suitcase early and it's packed in securely. Um, But two, if you have this time of really reading scripture with them and talking it through, golly, you have a foundation for all sorts of future hard conversations with your kids because you're the ones who are going to have to talk to them about alcohol, about drugs, about sex. And if you've already laid this foundation of communication, those conversations are so much easier to have. Um, And then think about your child as they go to junior high and the high school I mean, those are, those are tricky waters to navigate as a child. And if they can talk to you about what's going on, and if they have their faith to really ground them, it's not a 100% guarantee, but they're in a much better place to really um, walk through that with integrity. Um, so it really is, um, it's so important. And I got to tell you, our number one excuse is we just don't have enough time. I mean, that's what it seems to be. Everybody, we don't have enough time. We're so busy um, with this and this and this. But our challenge to you would be, golly, we are people who can make time for things that are important. We will make time to make sure our kids are in school. We'll make time to make sure they're at ball practice. We'll make sure that they're um, there for their dance recitals. We will make time for what's important. And I can't tell you, I mean, having adult kids, there's nothing more important that you can do for your children than to really give them a firm foundation in faith. And that quote Um, from the 1600s, I think says it well. Oh, it's on the next page. This is from a man who considered unthinkable that a child of God would be unable to find the time to read the book in which God has communicated his love and grace. Could God find heart and time to pen this love letter to thee, and thou find none to read it and peruse it? The sick man, no time to look on his physician's prescription. I mean, could you imagine being sick and not having the time to hear what the doctor tells you? The condemned malefactor, no time to look on his prince's letter of grace, wherein the pardon is signed. There is so much in Scripture. And we really need to um, come alongside our children at this important time when they're walking out with their Bible, a moment that they may remember for the rest of their lives, um, and not capitalize on it. We really, as parents, need to capitalize on this moment. So um, that is um, kind of the, the 
packing the child's suitcase, giving you a larger context of what scripture is, and then some practical ideas. Um, but I'd like to really kind of open it up. Um, Don, do you have anything you want to add or any questions, any thoughts? I will say this. Somebody told us this when our kids were already grown that I wish I'd have heard earlier. It just makes so much sense. And some of you have older kids as well. Uh, you can attest to this. But with a second grader right in the middle of it, uh, they looked at me and said, you know, the whole thing about parenting is this, long days, short years. I thought, wow, that is so true. Long days, short years. Um, and I just, I'd just i focus on the short years part of it because they, they get to be seniors in high school pretty quick, don't they? Mm-hmm. So... It goes by faster than you think. I mean, you as second graders, you're not that far from junior high. And you really do have this window of opportunity when their suitcase is open. And they are willing to hear, and they would love nothing better than to sit down with mom and dad um, and read scripture. So any other thoughts, any other comments? All right, D.Y., will you close us in prayer? Dane asked me this either this morning or last night, I can't remember which, to close us in prayer. And it wasn't until this morning I thought about this. This is a prayer that I used to say um, often for my kids when they were young. So I thought it was as good as, a good, good prayer as any. Let's pray. If you all would kind of listen to the words and pray along with me to yourself, I uh, see how God might use it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray for our children that your grace and protection will comfort them, that their heart, mind, will, and life will be fully surrendered to you, that your Holy Spirit will do a mighty work of transformation in their hearts, that they will love you with all of their heart, soul, mind, and strength, that they will always be set apart for you and never conform to this world, that you will raise each of them to be a man or a woman after your own heart. They will grow daily in wisdom and in stature and in favor with you and man. That they will become men or women who have a strong faith in you. They will be an effective witness for your kingdom at school, at home, and in their activities and social life. Father, I pray that if it's your will that they will be married, that each of their spouses will know you and live for your glory. Pray that the specific plans and destiny that you have for each of them will be fulfilled. O Lord, you have watched so faithfully over those families who waited for the Savior to come. Watch over my family as we wait for him to come again. Amen.